You're listening to a message from Spindle City Vineyard. Connect with us or find out more at spindlecityvineyard.com. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It is so lovely to see you. We're a small group this morning, but it's really nice to have some faces we haven't seen for a while. My name is Susanna, and I'm part of the preaching team here. Um, And I'm doing the message this morning. And most of you will know this in the room, but we've um, decided to take two years out to go through the whole Bible from start to finish, um, to really experience and understand the story that God has written and the story that God is writing. And guess what? We are nearly done with the minor prophets. So I'm on the second to last minor prophet of 12. And the minor prophets are just 12 short books um, that contain messages from God to the people of Israel um, between 800 and 400 BC. So that's kind of where we're at in the Bible. We're in the Old Testament at the end of the Minor Prophets, between 400 and 800 B.C. So today I'm teaching on Haggai, which is the third of the last book of the Old Testament. Haggai, Zechariah, and the last book, Malachi. Do you guys not know that song? Oh, it's a good one. It's from Sunday school. All right, so you know me. I like to start with a little bit of a hook. So we're going to start with a quiz today. So if you have a pen... And you can use the piece of paper that came with your insert or your handout on Haggai. Get a pen, and you can write down your answers on a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. I hear Jerusalem. What? The Wailing Wall. Excellent, Jason. And you got Temple. Yeah, Dome of the Rock behind it. Okay. So I ended this quiz. Well done, guys. Anybody ace it? Need to get out more, folks. All right. I ended this quiz with a picture of the Wailing Wall or the Western Wall in Jerusalem. And I did that on purpose because Haggai is all about rebuilding the Temple of Jerusalem. And this is all that's left of it right now. Um, So what happened to it? Well, in 70 AD, many of you will know Rome destroyed the Temple of Jerusalem. It was sacked um, by the Romans, but that was not the first time that the Temple of Jerusalem has been sacked by Jewish oppressors. Um, It happened another time before that. And to understand the message of Haggai this morning, we need to go back in time to that event when the temple was destroyed. Next slide, please, Hannah. Okay, hopefully you can see this timeline. But this is a timeline of the second half of the Old Testament. And you can see that Haggai occurs after Israel divided into two kingdoms and after they uh, experienced exile and destruction um, and being sent out from their homeland by the Assyrian Empire and then the Babylonian Empire. And these exiles, you can see the bottom two, were consequences of Israel breaking their covenant relationship with God through injustice, through idolatry. And their persistent rebellion and God's discipline exposed them to the foreign powers around them who were vying for control of the Middle East. So we're in that season right now. And Haggai is addressed to a group of Israelites who have come back from being exiled by Babylon to their homeland in Israel and Jerusalem. And they're coming back to rebuild their city, to rebuild their towns, and specifically focus on rebuilding the temple. So what happened to the temple? Hannah, next slide, please. Well, about 70 years before Haggai, King Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed it. And the whole scenario is actually described in the book of 2 Kings, which is a history book um, in the Old Testament that was written around the same time as Haggai. And I'm actually going to read you the gory details of what Nebuchadnezzar did to Jerusalem. So it says, Nebuchadnezzar marched against Jerusalem with his whole army. 
he encamped outside the city and built siege walls all around it. Then the city wall was broken through and the whole army fled at night. Nebuzadan, I'm going to read it from here. Commander of the Imperial Guard, an official of the king of Babylon, set fire to the temple of the Lord, the royal palace, and all the houses of Jerusalem. Every important building he burned down. The whole Babylonian army under the commander of the Imperial Guard broke down the walls around Jerusalem. Nebuzaradan carried into exile the people who remained in the city. So that's what happened to the first temple, Nebuchadnezzar. All right. Now, how did the Jews manage to get back to Jerusalem then if Nebuchadnezzar hauled them all back out to Babylon? Well, because 50 years after Mr. Nebuchadnezzar waltzed in there, he got taken by a new sheriff on the block, King Cyrus, uh, king of Persia. So about 50 years later, in 539 BC, uh, Cyrus conquers Nebuchadnezzar. Now, Cyrus was, a, uh, Cyrus was a lot more lenient of a tyrant, and he said that all the Jews could return to their homeland while he was in charge. And I'll read you that um, from Isaiah, because 200 years earlier, Isaiah had talked about Cyrus and said, there's going to be a king named Cyrus, and he's going to let the Jewish people return. So this is interesting. 200 years before, Isaiah has a prophecy saying, I am the Lord who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and will accomplish all that I please. He, Cyrus, is going to say of Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt, and of the temple, let its foundations be laid. Okay, so Nebuchadnezzar kicks him out. Cyrus says you can come back, just as Isaiah prophesied. All right, so what happens when they come back? Hannah, next slide, please. All right, so Ezra, another book in the Bible. A lot of these books are being written contemporaneously and uh, collaborating each other's stories. So Ezra talks about how um, there was a group of about 42,000 Jews who then emigrated back to the Jerusalem area. And it says, the whole company numbered 42,360. When they arrived at the house of the Lord of Jerusalem, some of the heads of the families gave free will offerings toward the rebuilding of the house of God on its site. According to their ability, they gave to the treasury for this work. And it describes all the people who got involved. All right, skip ahead, Hannah, to Ezra 3. After their arrival at the house of God in Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, can everybody say Zerubbabel? Can you say it and have fun saying it? <laughs> there we go. Son of Shealtiel and Joshua, son of Jezadak, and the rest of the people, priests, Levites, all who had returned from the captivity, began the work. They're beginning the work of rebuilding the temple. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. So, seems like it's going well, right? Well, we hit a snag by chapter 4. When the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles, these group of 42,000 Jews who've come back, were building a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel, they set out to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid to go on building. They bribed officials to work against them and frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus down to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Thus, the work on the house of God in Jerusalem came to a standstill. And actually, part of that discouraging process was that a group of people sent a letter <laughs> to somebody in charge and complained about it. And then the, the building project got shut down. Not a lot of good stuff starts with a letter to the city council, does it? <laughs> All right. So next slide, Hannah, please. 
I thought I'd just given you quite a lot of context there. And so what I did was I took that whole backstory and I turned it into an emoji summary and then I texted it to myself. And I would love if someone in the audience would have a go at interpreting my emoji message and thus clear up the context for us again and give us a cheeky little recap. Would anyone like to connect with the genius of my emoji story? Where are the youths? Liam, Luca, do you think you could tell me what's happening there with my emojis? Yeah. Strong. Okay, we're on the second line. Destroy the temple. Do you see my fire temple fire? Okay. Next line. Keep going, Matt. You're on a roll. Uh, so we're still talking about the Israelites. They were put in chains, right, or killed. Sad, right? Dot, dot, dot. Time passes. New guy in charge, also with a beard and long hair. He's good. Lots of weapons. He attacks Israel again. What's happening with the temple? Yeah, temple is actually okay. You can go back and get your tools out. Yes, for building and your houses. Dot, dot, dot. Time passes. Trolls. Come on, Erica. <laughs> there be hard-cold trolls out there trolling these people. And they stop the building project on the temple. Yes. Making the Jewish people sad. Yes. Dot, dot, dot. Then what happens? Time passes and the tools stop and the work goes downhill from there. Yeah, it's sleeping. Right. Heart, heart and roller coaster. It's an emotional roller coaster. Okay. All right. Everybody clear about what happens. Good. Thank you. <clears throat> Matt got us started. Thank you, Matt. I was scared I'm going to be standing here for a few minutes. All right. So here comes Haggai. Haggai uh, has four specific messages for this group of people, the Jews in Jerusalem, 18 years after their return. And they think, scholars think that Haggai uh, had actually been around pre-Nebuchadnezzar, pre-temple destruction, making him a, an older man, about 70 years. And he was probably looking back on the glories of his nation, and he expressed a passionate desire to see his people rise up from the ashes and reclaim their rightful place as God's light to the nations. So what we're going to do between now and ministry time is actually get the book of Haggai out. Um, so I'd love you to grab a Bible or get your phone out, um, and we can flip through the pages. Hannah, if you go back to that last slide, that would be fine. Thank you. Pages is actually really a page. 461 in the Blue Bible. You can use your phone, or you can go to the Blue Bible here, page 461. And I'm just going to talk you through briefly what Haggai says, and then we'll move into ministry time and a time of applying what he says to today. Everybody there? 461, or you can just type in Haggai 1, enter, and see what Google gives you. <clears throat> you there? 
All right. All right, so God is speaking through this man, Haggai, and he comes, you know, into this community of people. And in chapter 1, really that first chunk, God is essentially calling people out on their lame excuses. And God says, the people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Not the right time. That's what they've been saying, not the right time. But the Lord says, is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house, the temple, remains in ruin? So he's exposing that excuse of, well, we don't have time to work on your house, God, but we have time to work on our houses. And God says, that's not going to fly. And then the Lord goes on later in chapter 1 to speak through Haggai and to explain to the people that's why they're struggling with provision. We have this imagery of um, them earning money and it just falling out of holes in their wallets, them reaping uh, harvest and the harvest not going anywhere, them, them um, putting nice clothes on and the clothes falling apart, this imagery of them really struggling to hold on to something good, to have provision. And he's saying, you don't have my blessing because you're not putting me first. Your priorities are wrong. You know, you shouldn't really be surprised. You've got things the wrong way. And then at the end of chapter 1, unlike any of the minor prophets, the chapter ends with the governor, Zerubbabel, and the high priest, Joshua, and the whole community actually listening. They actually listen to what the prophet says. And God stirs up their spirits. It says God is the one who stirs up their spirits, and they get their tools back out, and they start working again. So that's what happens in chapter 1. And then if you look in chapter 2, the second and last chapter, the Lord just begins to encourage them, and he's coaching them, and he's affirming them in this work of rebuilding the temple. And from the sounds of it, I think their morale must have dropped again because they realized how pathetic their second temple was looking compared to the first one. And God actually says to them, he says, well, who of you is left who saw the house in its former glory before Nebuchadnezzar ruined it? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? He's kind of validating how they're feeling, that it's, it's not as good as the first one was. And actually, in the story of Ezra, it says that when they initially laid the first foundation, when they came back and they started rebuilding, that they had a real strong emotional reaction. And Ezra says that some of them were screaming for joy and celebrating, and some of them were actually crying really hard. And it was, it was difficult to tell the difference between the crying and the laughing because of how emotional it was to start that project again after what had happened to them. So God says, who among you is, is looking at what it, could, what it was before it could be and looking at what it's turning into now? And he says, be strong. My spirit is with you. And he just affirms them to keep going. And then midway through the chapter, God promises that he's going to start to shake up the nations around them, and he's going to fill this new house with glory, and he's just going to bless them and bless them and bless them as they turn back to him and as they put him first. And then the book ends, if you look at that last little bit, where it says, the rubber bell chosen as a signet in your church Bible. He has some special words of affirmation for, for Zeb, for the rubber bell. Um, and actually, fun fact, Zerubbabel is from the line, well, what tribe do you think Zerubbabel is from? Judah. He's from the line of Judah, and who else is in the line of Judah? Jesus. And so he's actually speaking to this leader of this community who's from the line and the tribe of Judah, 
and he's affirming him in this particular role of significance with the temple. And that's really um, interesting because later on, 20, 30 generations on, is going to be Jesus in that same line. And God says to Zerubbabel, I'm going to deal with the foreign nations. Don't worry about that. I'll, I'll deal with the foreign kingdoms. And he says, and on that day, this is right to Zerubbabel as the book ends, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. And that's how the book ends. So we have, Hannah, if you could go to the next slide. We have um, a challenge for folks um, from Haggai to reassess priorities and to turn back with the Lord, number one. And then we have lots of encouragement from the Lord in that chapter to continue on, even though it doesn't look maybe as they thought it was going to look, or it's very painful comparing it to the original. And then we have him just affirming in particular this, this leader who he's placed in charge and just sort of saying, you're going to be like my, mm, my stamp of approval on this. You're like my signet ring. You guys know what a signet ring is? Yeah. What is it, Barbara? It's, a signet ring is, it, it's got an initial. Mm-hmm. And when you stamp it, you can say that. That's right. Do you have one, Barbara? I have one. You had one. Okay. So yeah, Barbara says a signet ring is like a personal ring with your initial, so to speak, and anything coming from you, you stamp with your ring, and it, it's sort of an official, yeah, sign off. So that's, that's what Zerubbabel is for God. All right, so <clears throat> I wanted to leave um, some time here at the end, really, because I felt there was three applications for us in the room this morning. And in praying and preparing, I felt the Holy Spirit... Uh, was saying that there's going to be something for everyone this morning. It might not be the same thing, but one of these three things coming out of Haggai is going to be for someone in the room, for everyone in the room. And so I'm going to go, just go through with you now. We'll talk through it, and then I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit, and then I want to leave lots of time to um, reflect, to receive prayer, and then maybe to take some action. So it's kind of small on the board, but I'm just going to talk you through the three things I felt coming through from Haggai for us, for Spindle City Vineyard this morning, and for people who came in particular this morning. So there's the challenge. It might be the Holy Spirit is going to deliver a challenge to you this morning. That would be the same challenge that was coming from Haggai. And the two verses that kind of uh, highlighted in this challenge are uh, the verse, give careful thought to your ways. So an opportunity to... Consider your life, consider how your life is going and the choices you're making in your life, and just think through that. And then the challenge of my house remains in ruins while each of you is busy with your own house. In other words, challenge to assess where you're prioritizing your time, your affection, your money, your relationships. Is that reflective of God being first in your life? And, and if, if the Holy Spirit comes to you in the form of a challenge this morning, a loving, gentle challenge, I would um, encourage you to take some time to reflect and confess that. And then on your piece of paper, maybe write action. an action step for the week, something that would help you rework those priorities so that they better reflect God being number one, everything else being after that. Does that make sense? challenge? All right. And then the encouragement is for those of us who are in the middle of 
It could be work, it could be something else. We know we have been given something that we're responsible for, and we are craving some affirmation and encouragement that God is with us. And the verses for that would be, does it seem to you like nothing? Be strong and work, for I am with you, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. And then, in particular, I believe this is for each one of us, not just the rubber bell. I have made you like my signet ring. I have chosen you. And so that's a particular affirmation for you this morning. So if, if there's a heaviness surrounding something you've been tasked with or some work or sense of calling or something that lies ahead of you that you're feeling heavy about or discouraged, the Lord wants to encourage you this morning. And I would say I would... Um, Suggest that you share that with someone else, that you don't keep that to yourself, that you share that with a friend or someone in your aisle or someone on the prayer ministry team. So we have, um, this morning we have Jim over here and we have Beth here and Jen knows to come out at 1135 so she can be a prayer person as well and we have Erica here. So I would actually encourage you, if when I invite the Holy Spirit and you feel like, I need encouragement, I do. That's totally awesome because he's here to encourage you this morning and to go find someone on the prayer team. Can you guys raise your hands again? So we have Erica, we have Jim, we have Beth. So get up out of your seat and go to them and say, there's this thing, I need encouragement, I really need to know that God is with me and that he's chosen me and that he's going to give me his spirit. And the third thing, uh, we talked about this in announcements, but it's an opportunity to get involved in rebuilding the temple, so to speak, in today's day and age. Getting involved in God's work, God's kingdom. And that would be the renovation campaign here for this church, the building project. Um, Or it could be getting involved on a team here. We have several different teams where there are opportunities to volunteer, to help Sunday morning run, to help the kids ministry run, to help on worship. There's lots of things going on, and we need each other to keep those things uh, running. And so it might be that the Holy Spirit comes to you this morning and reminds you of the opportunity to either give or to get involved on a team. And I would ask you to take the time to consider doing that. Okay. Any questions? All right, brilliant. So we know where the prayer people are, and we know um, what the three the three things are that we can choose. And I'm I'm gonna pray, and then I'll have Hannah put some quiet music on in the back, or I'll go and do that so we have some some background, and then we can just do some get some stuff done this morning with Holy Spirit. Brittany had a sense, and when we were praying this morning for this message as well, <clears throat> that um, the sense this morning was that God was speaking all these things to us in love. It was because he loves us. And Brittany's sense was that there is a hunger and a, and a thirst in this room to, to know Jesus, but not because I'm saying that you should know Jesus, but because you actually want to and you're feeling like you want to be close to Jesus, and you're feeling a a love for him that's stirring, and a desire to 
be near him and to have him in your life. And I didn't mention Jesus in preaching about Haggai this morning, but I but he's there because he's the spirit that God sent to work with them. And Zerubbabel is a symbol of him being involved in the work of the church and in our lives and having the affirmation of God. And so Jesus is here this morning too. And Jesus is the guy you want to be close to. And Jesus is the person who loves you most. And so, yes, Lord, we pray, whether it's a challenge or an encouragement or an opportunity, that Jesus would be glorified and known and loved this morning. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, right now, to fill this room. Holy Spirit, we trust you to bring the message that you want to bring to each person in this room and to bring it in the way that they can hear it and understand it and receive it. And so we welcome you to come and do that now. We pray for a sense of love as you bring the challenge, as you bring the encouragement, and as you bring the opportunity to everyone in this room. So we wait on you now, Holy Spirit, and we let you come to us and highlight where you want to work and bless and change and love. Thank you, Jesus. I feel like the Holy Spirit just wants to release a fresh anointing on you. Um, Haggai's message to the community of Jews who were doing this work was that his spirit was with them and it would be possible by his spirit. And it's good to be encouraged this morning that God doesn't call us to do anything that he hasn't promised to equip us to do and to be with us as we do it. And so I... Hannah, is it me or is it the mic or something else? Maybe it's that little radar there. And so I feel like the Holy Spirit uh, would like us to receive from him afresh this morning for the work that's set before us and the challenges that we have in those places of discouragement. And he wants to come and just fall on you and anoint you and to remind you this morning that he is not asking you to do anything by yourself and that it is only possible to do the things that he calls you to do with his spirit, and he is generous with his spirit, and he does not leave you alone to do those things. And so we're going to just invite him again, but particularly to just fall fresh on you and to anoint you to the th- uh, anoint you for the work of the things in your life that are uh, on your plate or um, in front of you or the things that are weighing on you. And so, Holy Spirit, we just call you down now in the name of Jesus to anoint people in their chairs where they're sitting to do the things that you are calling them to do, to be the people you are calling us to be, and to uh, live the lives that are worthy of you, Jesus. And so, Holy Spirit, would you come now and just fill us And would you set 
your fire on us and would you anoint us by your power and by your goodness to do all and be all that you want us to be. Holy Spirit, come. And if you want to stand or if you want to put your hands out in a posture where you're signaling to him, I'm ready for you and I need you and I'm here, I would encourage you to do that, to just physically activate your body where you stand up and you throw your arms out wide. Or you could just close your eyes. Or you could lean your head back and relax. You don't have to be stressed about it or stiff. <laughs> and just be in a position where you can let him touch you and remind you and visit you and fill you. And so would you just come? And I'm here, Lord, too, and I want some of you. And would you come now and just fill us, Lord? Holy Spirit, come rest on us. The message is the same in 520 B.C. and now. It is your spirit that we need. It is your spirit that stirs us and wakes us up and helps us. So come, Holy Spirit, and anoint folks afresh this morning. Here he comes. Let him come.